I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. From Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read one of the most familiar passages in the New Testament. Now, here's the problem with familiar passages. We may assume we know everything we need to know about these passages already. After all, they are familiar passages. We already know what they say. So when we come to these passages in our Bible reading, there may be some temptation to say to yourself, well, I've already learned that a long time ago. I know what that's all about, and then just skip the passage. Not a good idea. If we do that over and over again, we stand the risk of eventually losing the meaning of the passage, and we may miss something in the passage we didn't learn the first few times we went through it. So, review is good. And it may be in our review of a familiar passage, we hear something that we didn't hear before, but that we need today. Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answered, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The Good Samaritan Everybody knows this story. Let's take our time to make sure we know it, and let's be sure we are applying it in every good way we can. We will follow this order of study, the exchange in verses 25 to 29, the story in verses 30 to 35, and the conclusion in verses 36 and 37. First, there was this exchange between a certain lawyer and Jesus. 
The man stood up, and the Bible says he was putting Jesus to the test. His question was, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, who was the master teacher, responded to his question with his own question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? What a perfect response the Lord gave to the lawyer. Sometimes when people raise questions today, a good response is, have you read the Bible? What does it say? So the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He quoted scripture, probably from memory. That doesn't necessarily mean he understood it or was living by it, but the man knew what Scripture said. Jesus said to the lawyer, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus taught people with such impressive and beautiful simplicity. The man said, What shall I do? Jesus said, Have you read the law? The man quoted the law of God. Jesus said, That's it. Do it. Now, the next verse, 29, reveals a lot about this lawyer. Luke reports this with an insightful introduction. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's stop here and make a quick observation, something I will build on later. Jesus told the man to do what God's law said, but the matter was not settled in the mind of this lawyer. So many times this is the case with people, perhaps with us, with me or you. We know what God's law says. We can quote it. Maybe we have memorized it. Perhaps we could teach it. But when it comes to putting the law of God into living, obedient action, the matter is not settled. We have something to say. We have an excuse. We have an issue, an argument, some response. And sometimes after we know God's law, the questions we raise move along the lines of, do I have to do this? And we search for self-justification. We are open to finding some loophole or some exception to the rule. Such attitudes are not good for us. If God's word has directed us in some obligation, it behooves us to accept it and do it without self-justifying questions or arguments. God has said it. We shouldn't have to debate it or look for exceptions. God has said it. We shouldn't need to refine definitions to suit our indifference. If God has said it, the person of faith will seek the activity of obedience that faith demands. To deal with this, the lawyer's questions and his evidence of self-justification, our Lord tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Let me stop here and observe. We know almost nothing about this man, the victim. Was he rich or poor? Was this trip necessary or unnecessary, business or pleasure? What was his race, his ethnic background? We only know he was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
And then he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. We call this, in modern lingo, being mugged. This route was notorious for that danger, and the danger became a reality for this victim. Well, what happened next? Surely someone would come along, and by chance, a religious leader comes along that way. A priest was going down that road. Oh, that's great. A religious person is coming. When he saw the suffering victim, he passed by on the other side, offering no aid. Well, look, somebody else is coming. Another traveler happens by, and he can see the victim, and he is a Levite. He's also involved in religious practice. A member of the Israelite tribe who took care of worship responsibilities. Here was a man of esteemed lineage who might even have taught people what they should do in such circumstances. But he passed by on the other side. These two guys are beating a new path away from their neighbor and away from their God. Sometimes when we move away from people who need us, we move away from God. So the victim is down, bleeding, and destitute in need of emergency care. Two religious people see his plight, but will not stop to help. Then came along this road a Samaritan. Many in Jesus' time among the Jews would not have combined the word good with Samaritan. Unwilling to conceive or admit that any Samaritan could be useful or good, long-standing prejudice played a role in this hostility between Jews and Samaritans. The natives and inhabitants of Samaria were despised. There was a popular assumption they were no good. This Samaritan, he was pretty good. Listen to verses 33 through 35. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he took him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. You remember what the law of God said that prompted this whole discussion? Look back at verse 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The priest knew that, but didn't apply it. The Levite knew that, but didn't apply it. The Samaritan carried it out, not just in part, but wholly going beyond the legalistic duty. The religiously ignorant Samaritan. The one the lawyer would have rejected as a neighbor showed himself to be a neighbor to his anonymous fellow man. And look at this in verse 34. The account slows down to reveal the detailed attention that was part of the Samaritan's compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day, verse 35 says, he made arrangements to pay his bill when he came back. 
A priest and Levite knew the law but didn't live it. They found literally a way around the situation. The Samaritan saw a person in need and made a straight path to help him. And then we come to the conclusion in verses 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. In the conclusion, Jesus places stress on who, which of the three proved to be a neighbor to the victim. Keep this in the context of the exchange between the lawyer and Jesus. And remember, the lawyer had inquired, who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't give a technical definition of the word neighbor. He tells a story about being a neighbor. May I repeat that? Jesus doesn't give a technical dictionary definition of the word neighbor. He tells a story about being a neighbor. The issue is not identifying who you ought to help. That's not, that's not it here. No, the issue is being a neighbor yourself. What kind of person am I? I want to call attention to three things for our application. Number one, resolve to avoid self-justifying distinctions. I spoke of this earlier. Seeking some definition or distinction that will, we perceive, dismiss us from duty or justify our neglect. That's just wrong-hearted. The lawyer wanted a definition of neighbor to justify himself, perhaps to rule out people he didn't want to help. To keep myself from this, I need to resolve today, I will not seek out loopholes to disobey God. I will not go out in search of technical distinctions that favor my indifference. The right attitude is to do what we know God has said without situation ethics, without excuses, without arguments that justify us and leave others bleeding and dying on the road. Resolve to avoid self-justifying distinctions. Two, be a neighbor. The definition of neighbor ought to focus on me. Jesus took a question about who is a neighbor and turns it around to tell a story about being a neighbor. The issue is not determining if someone else qualifies for your help. The issue is, will I develop myself to be a genuinely helpful person? In effect, Jesus cuts the matter of classes of people out of this debate. Jesus doesn't give him a list of who he should consider a neighbor. We don't know anything about the victim in the story. Jesus challenges the lawyer and us to be good neighbors to our fellow man in every good way we are able. The one who shows mercy is the good neighbor. I don't need to pre-qualify the victim to make some sort of legalistic determination that he is or is not my neighbor. I need to respond to need. 
show mercy, and be a good neighbor myself. Do not worry about who is the neighbor, just be one. While we are busy trying to figure out if one should be helped, they may bleed to death. Three, go beyond superficial token compassion. What we are tempted to do sometimes may be rather superficial, may not really show mercy or answer need. James illustrated this one time when he was talking about inactive faith, where you say to someone in need, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but then not giving the needy what they need that you have to give. The good Samaritan didn't just acknowledge the man's suffering, offer a few words of sympathy and keep going. He stopped. He had compassion. He did the immediate initial work, then took the man to a place for further care, stayed overnight, changed his plans, left money for his further needs. That's not superficial, not just token giving. It is agape. It is sacrifice. It is a full response to what God instructs us in being a neighbor. In reading and studying the Bible, we are able to learn God's truth for our lives. Ultimately, the test is living what we learn. The priest and Levite, we might well assume, were students of God's law and had taught others God's law. However, their academic background, their religious positions of distinction, their knowledge meant nothing when it came time to obey, to apply the law they had learned and taught others. As Christians, our focus must be on doing what the law of Christ says. We may learn it and learn it well enough to detect error and respond to sin and teach others and perhaps become distinguished by our knowledge and experience. But what matters is doing the law of Christ, being a neighbor, not trying to figure out what you can do to get out of helping somebody. Distinctions made for the purpose of dismissing duty reflect on our character. The New Testament affirms an ethic where love for God translated into active love for one's neighbor or fellow believer is what it's all about. The teachings of Christ challenge us to live out in life what we have been taught with a compassion that is genuine and that fully addresses the needs of the occasion to the best of our ability. Jesus said, I leave you with this, Jesus said, go and do likewise. If you should need to respond to the Lord in some way and we can be of assistance to you, please get in touch with us. And thank you for listening.